fantasy war games in the frozen city. Could we know I had fantasy war games on the tropical island? Or fantasy war games in the all-inclusive five-star resort? Ah, wished, Dougal. Just think of the treasure. Treasure? What treasure? We haven't found any. Aye, but we will. The place is riddled with it. Apparently. Apparently? Aye. If that was true, you'd think we'd have bumped into at least one other warband. All I've seen since we've got here is ruins and snow. There's another warband down there in the plaza right now. Oh, aye. Still, that's the first one we've seen. Hang on. Is that... Derek the Spectacular? Derek the Spectacular? It is. What's he doing here? Well, same as us, I'm guessing. The place is riddled with treasure, remember? Who is he, anyway? Who is he? He's nothing more than a jumped-up kid's birthday party magician masquerading as some sort of mage, that's who. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I'll pelt him with a snowball. Give us a wee laugh. No, 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 don't. He's actually quite handy with that stuff. Use it to light candles, does he? Tell you what, though. Some of his followers look familiar. Aye, they would. They were part of our warband until this afternoon. Right enough. Leon, where is our warband? Down there, with Derek the Spectacular. So they're now his warband? Looks that way. But why? Why did they leave us? Ah, I, I, um, I think they were a wee bit upset with my necromancy. Your necromancy? But you're not a necromancer. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Leon, I've never seen you animate so much as a mouse skeleton before. And therein lies the problem, I'm afraid, Dougal. Neither had they. I promised them we'd be well backed up on this expedition. So what happened? Well, I couldn't manage. Used to be able to do it, no problem. Raising a stiff like. But it gets more difficult the older you get. You know how it is. Well, I suppose there is still one magic trick that you're good at. Really? What's that then? Making me disappear. I'm away to join Derek's warband. See if he needs an extra pair of hands for polish knowledge treasure. I'll maybe see you later. Well, welcome back to the... I could never remember the name of the podcast, but welcome back to anyway, Joe. Yeah, that's good to be back. Is it good to be on a podcast where the host doesn't know the name of it? Is that is that unnerving <laughs> or is it just pretty cool? Nah, it's all right. <laughs> Do you ever forget the names of any of your games? That'd be impossible, wouldn't it? Um, no, I forget the rules plenty or I forget which <laughs> rules apply to which games. But <laughs> So I, I think it was, um, it must have been two or three months ago we last spoke. So in that time, Joe, what's what's new with you? So I went. I went home to the U.S., which was a, a pretty big deal over Christmas. Mm. So it was first, first time I've been been back to the U.S. in three years and seen my parents, and you know, it was both a wonderful experience for for seeing everybody, but also quite stressful because it was right in the face of of all the restrictions, and we had to take millions of COVID tests and mm. just worry that anybody testing positive is going to leave you stranded somewhere. But it all worked out. So, you ever going to implement a roll table for COVID in any of your games? Like, you know, the, the ranger, he's about to do a thing, but then he takes a lateral flow test and he has to isolate for two turns. It's fantasy, man. We're supposed to enjoy being in a different world. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the diseases are much worse 
and the, exactly. the games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been. It's terrible, but at least it's fictional. <laughs> I've been playing a bit of Rangers, really enjoying it. Um, really immersed yeah. myself in it the last um, couple of months, I think. Um, just uh, pouring through the book and stuff like that. It's funny with games as well. Like I know it's a solo game, so you literally just could play it every day if you wanted. But yeah. it's the sheer volume of like um, diving into a game and reading the books and stuff compared to the time you actually get playing it, maybe <laughs> just me, but they're, they're very, very different um, ratios, if you like, but I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy pouring through that book. It's, it's great. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of different aspects of this hobby and we, we sometimes get stuck in this idea that we have to devote most of our time to to any one aspect and, and generally that's playing oh I, I i haven't played enough but you know if, you, if you're getting the fun from reading books or, or painting minis or crafting terrain you know it's fine to to concentrate on those either for a time or you know all the time it's finding what you love to do the most and yeah it's the, it's the build up i like you know i, I know that yeah. there's a game in say three weeks and i've got a target of you know i need to get these spiders finished i need to get some of these zombies done um what do i need you know I'll start writing my list so that on the day i don't forget anything so it's, <laughs> it's just a build up um and then yeah. re- reading and reading no matter how many times i read a book when it comes to rolling the first dice i'm like oh, wait wait how does that all work again like i have to go back yeah. it's almost like i forgot everything so <laughs> um i was looking at again it'll take me a long time to work through the book but i was looking at some of the expansions so um yeah and do you call them expansions is that the best word for it i don't know um probably not uh, for the most part they're kind of adventures you mm, know they're more yeah. like like getting a D well i guess they called them what modules or something but it's it's you know most of them are really about here is the next adventure you can go on. Here's the next part of the story. Mm-hmm. Some some of them have bits of rules that you can add to the game, but I wouldn't call them expansions in the way most war games kind of think of it. Yeah, like here's a new box with loads of new minis in the book, and it's it's eighty quid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's not that. <laughs> the uh, have have you got a particular um, favorite? additional adventure that you that you recommend me getting after i finish this book um probably my favorite is, is you're you're in luck is the smallest and cheapest so <laughs> which was called uh blood moon which was was actually the first one i wrote for the game and yeah the werewolf one yeah and it's just the single adventure that's you know a single scenario that's all there is mm. in there but but i wrote it because i i just really wanted to see if i could do something that was a little bit more like a, a murder mystery in, in a war game, mm. um, you know, and one can argue about how, how much I succeeded in that, but, but I think it's certainly a very different type of scenario. You know, you've got a, a cast of characters, a cast of suspects who are, who are on your side for, for most of it, but you know, at any point, one of them could pop into a werewolf. And at the same time, you're looking for another werewolf. So it's just kind of, a very different a different experience i think of gaming so and i'm just kind of quite proud of that idea and how it how it came out are there any gnolls in it <laughs> then i don't think so there's there's some wolves there's giant flies uh and werewolves 
with the kind of opening adventures in the main book and stuff like that, what made you opt for the Noel, the humble Noel? Because he doesn't get a lot of play, <laughs> does he? No, he doesn't. I mean, I guess it's two things. One, I didn't want to use orcs because, you know, everybody uses orcs. And mm. there's, there's already enough kind of of the setting drawn from Tolkien that I didn't want to just kind of like, you know, hey, it's Mordor and here's the orcs. Yeah. Um, so I wanted something different. But, but essentially, you still want your kind of basic bad guy foot troops. Um, and luckily, the North Star had put out a box of, of gnolls to go with Frostgrave years a few years before and i thought well there's i know people can get these but they're not expensive um and it it just gives a different a little different flavor to it they're they're a little i don't know a little more bestial mm -hmm. and um, it's good so. as well for like i mean i i don't have any nose miniatures wise right. but it's great, like, <laughs> like I've got goblin archers, so they're fine as null archers. Um, exactly. Chaos warriors, they'll do as nulls. It's just like you're saying, you're 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 man sized or man shaped bad guy with two legs, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so a nolo, a nolo work. Um, exactly. And I think also people, because it is a slightly odd one, people are actually a little bit more likely to proxy. Mm. Whereas if I said orcs, people would think oh, I got to go out and get some orcs. Yeah, you know? can't can't because, stop the orcs. orcs are easy to get. Yeah, yeah. But if you say gnolls, people are like, I don't have any gnolls, and and some people were like, All right, opportunity to get gnolls, and others yeah. would be like, eh, I won't worry about it. I'll use orcs. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I've noticed with the scenarios, so a mixture of outdoor and indoor scenarios, was that a conscious thing for you? Did you did you were you deliberately like wanting to do some stuff inside just to keep it mixed up a bit? Yeah, well, I mean, because I've tried to think about the game more as a role-playing game in the sense of, like, what would happen in a role-playing game? Um, you know, what would happen in a classic Dungeons & Dragons campaign? And and in that, you would, you would have outside and indoor scenarios. So I wanted to kind of mimic that and, and really just to have the freedom to, to, to write any kind of scenario and not worry about it too much. You know, just let's see where this idea takes me. And um, the game I mentioned it on an episode before, like it seems to lend itself really well to a bit of homebrewing, if that's the right term. Have you yeah. come across a lot of people writing their own scenarios and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, in the it's mostly seen in the Facebook group, but there's a huge load of files in there uh, that people have written their own scenarios, and um, I even. Uh, last year, asked a few of them to to contribute to a little fanzine I did. I, I don't know. <laughs> I call it a fanzine, but of course I put it out, so I don't know if it counts as a fanzine. But there's, <laughs> there's a book called Star of Alador, which collects um, some scenarios written by fans that I edited and put out. Um, kind of just as a bit of fun and as a thank you to, to some of the fans that have done a lot of good work. And um, you know, it's it's probably not something I'll continue because it's a lot of work for me but but it was fun and it, and it just highlights how much creativity there already is in the community and so yeah even if even if you never bought another scenario after the main book there's there's plenty you could go out and find written by other people where can you get that is it uh we or fanzine or official zine or whatever you want to call it is it still available <laughs> yeah you can get it you can get it on drive through rpg in either pdf or or print on demand mm. same as you can get all the the supplements yeah expansion 
whatever they are. <laughs> cool, I'll dig that out and put it in the show notes, yeah, because um, what I need is more scenarios that will take me more years to play. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just like to read through them and imagine that, you know, when I'm 50, I'll be maybe on this one. So uh, how's... Well, um, you know, I mean, I'm kind of the same way with, with role-playing games. Like, I very rarely role-play these days. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I love to read role-playing adventures because I think you get some of that thrill of playing through it just by reading it. And mm. and it stirs your own imagination and you can put your own characters in there and, you know, it gives you ideas for other things. So, What's the state of play with Silver Bayonet then now? <laughs> uh, going strong. Um, it, it hasn't been officially announced, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you that I have agreed to do two small uh, supplements for it. Um, mm-hmm kind of half size of what I do for Frostgrave. Um, I'll be honest, originally I had no particular intention of doing any more material for it. Um, but the, the response to the game was just kind of so overwhelming. And, um, and Osprey wanted me to do it. And, um, you know, and I, if, if people are enjoying the game that much, I want to give them more, more stuff to, to play with. So, but I'm getting pretty limited in my time with all these different systems. So I said, I, I can do it, but I need to make them a bit shorter. Yeah. So. Where do you find your audience coming from in that, from that game? Like, is it folks that tend to follow you from game to game or are you, are you maybe pulling in a bit of the um, maybe historical gamers or that, that haven't maybe checked your stuff out before? Yeah. I think, I think probably the majority are people who are already fans of my games, but I think, Perhaps more than anyone previous, it has picked up a new kind of subset, which is the the historical gamer, the more casual fantasy gamer, um, who's kind of been looking for for an excuse to to try one of those types of games, but didn't want to kind of go all the way to to Frostgrave or you know Mordheim or whatever, you know, <laughs> something with a little more connection to what they're used to, and and perhaps the ability to use the terrain and a lot of the figures they already have before they kind of commit to it. You should make one in the future that's just called Knowles versus Romans. <laughs> and uh, that everyone could guess what that would be about. That'd be quite cool. Yeah. Um, exactly. You got Romans now, just get some Knowles. <laughs> Rose versus Rose versus Nomans. I've already messed the name <laughs> up. So um, the marketing department will sort that out. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you today, Joe, a wee bit about like um, creativity and the writing process and stuff like that. But I have a random okay. question about game rules first. Completely random. Okay. It's been on my mind for a while. And you wrote um, Oathmark. So yeah. you you have a rule set that's dealt with something like this. So in my experience, and I mainly that kind of game that I play, it's mainly Kings of War. So yeah. archers can right. fire at somebody, can fire at somebody if they've got line of sight, but and you might have done this in your game, I don't know, but say I had archers on level ground behind like a rank and file, um, maybe men-at-arms unit or something like that. If they can't see yeah. the people coming towards them, presumably they can't shoot at them. But when you see like um, Lord of the Rings or films or programs like that, the, the archers will just shoot over their heads and kind of judge the distance. So can you do yeah. that in many games like that? Um, yeah, most, most games have some sort of kind of volley fire rule where it's kind of, yeah, essentially indirect fire. Um, and you can fire over a unit generally, um, but with a penalty, you know, you're not, you're not as good Mm -hmm. as 
Yeah, and I mean, and and that you know, because that is also fitting with history. You know, that that did happen a lot. Although generally, you'd want yeah your archers sitting on a slightly higher elevation. But I mean, one of the things that like history and war games they tend to have a hard time replicating is, of course, you know, in a lot of battles, your your archers would stand out front for a while and shoot, and then just kind of retreat behind the other guys when when the enemy got close. Yeah, and that's the pub. That tends to be a bit hard to do with a lot of war games, just because of the way movement rules work. And um, so, but yeah, most most games do allow it to to some extent. At any rate, imagine being um, a, a medieval archer in uh, like Holland or Belgium because I, I don't think I've ever seen a hill in the countries where I've been there. It's just flat, like yeah, <laughs> never, get, never get any advantage there. Um, cool. I know that that was just a weird question that I'd been thinking about for a while because if I'm setting up, I'm like need to get the archers at the front, but then I'm like, but would they really be there? But yeah, like you're saying, do, do a bit of shuffling when the yeah, and I mean you also get you'll get a lot of them. Sticking up stakes in front of them. <laughs> yeah, aye, that's yeah. true. Or pets so the or cavalry something. can't charge them down or not as easily. So. Cool. Yes, question answered. Um, so that's good. Penalties. That's the that's the answer. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, aye. So Joe, you you've written a lot of games. Um, the sheer amount of work that must go into these projects means that you presumably have some sort of creative process and. Uh, rules if you like in place or good practices in place that you're actually getting stuff done um <laughs> is that an ongoing battle with you do you find um yeah it's it's um i've gotten pretty good at it but i do go through periods of kind of lethargy where it's more of a struggle but um but generally the the fear drives you you know if if i'm not working i'm i'm not going to get paid i'm not going to eat so um it does tend to uh, get you get you motivated so how it begins for me is i send the kids off to school and um the wife goes out to do whatever she's doing for the day and generally i immediately start writing but it, it's a bit circular cuz actually i should say like it I guess my my writing tends to begin the day before. So after lunch, I, I tend to go for a bike ride. And and during that bike ride, I'm mainly thinking about what am I going to write tomorrow? You know, if that's a scenario, start constructing that scenario in my head. What pieces am I going to use? What kind of monsters are going to be in it? And um, even to the point of like, you know, if, if it's more narrative, what's, what's my first sentence? What am I going to write? And that way when I come to the desk tomorrow, the next day in the morning after the kids have gone to school, I already have a very clear idea of what's the thing I'm going to write today. Um, you know, and I may or may not be successful at it. Uh, you know, the more I've done it, the more success I have at that. But, you know, cause I may hit snags or figure out actually I missed something or something doesn't quite work. But, but generally even then what I'll try to do is just, power through it and write you know i write that scenario as best i can in the morning um because well it's different for everybody but my, my kind of peak creative not creative but my peak uh industrious time i guess is pretty much from about eight in the morning till about 11 and um after that i, I start to fade um and so from about 11, I do, you know, admin or whatever. Um, 
and then I have lunch and then I go on that bike ride and then I'll come back and depending on what, what is going on, I'll either do some more admin or I'll play test something, you know, I'll set it up on the dining room table. And, and generally when I say play test, I'm not talking about playing a full game. I'll have very specific questions that I want to answer. So I'll set up maybe a game in progress or a game right at the start and just play a couple of turns just to see what happens. Cause you know, when, when you've been dealing with the same game system for a long time, you can, you can play a lot of things out in your head, but there are, whenever you're introducing new elements, you'll need to sometimes see that. So, so I'll do that. So, but yeah, the two key things are really that kind of creative time the day before and then the really blocking out, you know, no distractions, couple hours of, of solid writing, um, you know, and that's that's during the when I'm actually writing. Some days the writing gets replaced with with editing or you know proofreading or the more boring stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really interesting. You talk about the the bike ride and stuff, and and kind of knowing what you're going to be doing the next morning. I always like that. You know, I'm somebody who I work writing these days myself. Um, yeah. I like that Hemingway quote about uh, or Hemingway advice where he said about finish mid-sentence the day before because right you know exactly you know when how you're going to uh, start the next day um yep. I've, I've also uh, kind of likened that to paint the miniature you know you might um, be tempted just to finish a wee bit that you know needs done i'm not talking about painting half a cape and leaving the rest but you know <laughs> maybe you know that this sword's going to get done next i think it's quite a nice thing to do to just say okay that well that's an easy starting point tomorrow and once i do that yeah. i'll be kind of into the flow and I'll, I'll get on with it um so i like i like that hemingway quote but one i also like um and i was guilty of this years ago um i can't remember who the quote's from i think it was an artist but talked about writer's block and inspiration being for amateurs because a lot of a lot of aspiring writers think you know i would sit down and write but i'm just not inspired just now and there's a lot to be said for for just sitting down and you know, the first 20 minutes are going to be pretty difficult, but it's your job and it needs done. So it works hard yeah. sometimes. So you just need to crack on, don't you? Yeah, somebody's got a quote that it's like, yeah, 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, you'll need an idea, but if you don't sit there and do the work, it's all useless. Yeah, so. and then I think, I think like you're saying as well, getting out on the bike, um, for me, it's walking. And I think that's really important too, because you're, you need to step away and formulate your ideas and, and sort things out in your head whilst doing something rote like walking. Yeah. Um, so when you go out on the bike, presumably you're not sticking a podcast or music in it. You just, um, <laughs> just being alone no. with your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and generally I'm talking about kind of the same route or a familiar route every day, you know, I'll, I'll do, I also like to go out exploring on the bike, but that's, that's a different thing. This is the, both exercise and yeah, mental kind of work. So, and yeah, there is definitely a connection between the physical and the mental. Yeah. That's why people talk about the, the shower moment, you know, they're in the shower mm. and it's, it's things that their subconscious has been working away on for a long time, possibly. And it's just clicked. Yeah. Nobody knows how it happens, but it, it, it obviously is a thing. Um, how do you, document new ideas do you have do you keep like a wee notebook on you or anything like that or do you just have a good memory you know it's funny like i i buy notebooks compulsively i just i absolutely love notebooks um 
and I never write anything in them because, <laughs> well, I do. Like I write the I write the first page in all of them, and then I I quit because the truth is I just I very rarely forget the the ideas. You know, I just and especially these days because because I'm here every day working on things. You know, I tend to use ideas pretty quickly. Um, but but even if I don't, then I I just I don't know. I just tend not to forget them. So. I'll, I'll occasionally write something down, but I don't know. I just <laughs> mentally log it. And uh, Yeah, somebody once said to me years ago, don't worry about writing your ideas down because if they're good enough, they'll stick with you. And that worked for a few yeah. years. And I remember I came up with this great idea. And the next day, I think I'd had a few beers. Probably wasn't a great idea. But the next day I was like, <laughs> I cannot for the life of me remember that. And I never have since. So. Right. Um, so now I'm You'll a fan of uh, jotting, <laughs> even if it's just a bit of shorthand, which I can't write. So I don't know what the sense yeah. of that would be. But um, yeah, documentation ideas. Uh, when you come to the writing process, when you're sitting down to do some writing, is there a clear distinction between I'm doing some lore, I'm doing some stories, or I'm doing you know hard rules here and tables and stuff like that? Nope, not for me. Um... Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people there probably is because, you know, I, I've, I have discovered that writing fiction and, and writing nonfiction, be that rules or whatever, they are different skill sets. Um, but I've now practiced both of them so much. I feel kind of equally competent in both. And I, and I feel pretty confident switching from one to the other uh, pretty quickly. So yeah, like with a scenario, because most of my scenarios will start with a little narrative block, you know, um, it's pretty minor, but, but I write that and then I go straight into the rules for that scenario. And just because I, I like to, to write in order as much as I can, um, at least in, in that kind of flow sense. Um, if I'm writing a book, I'll, I'll break the chapters into different parts and perhaps write different parts of different chapters at different times. But but generally within a chapter, it's start at the beginning and right through to the end and add whatever's necessary next. Even if that is, yeah, stop and do a, you know, 50 entry table, I'll just start doing the table. And those are, those tend to be hard days when you're just kind of stealing, steering it, steering, staring at the ceiling going, all right, what's number 17, you know, like, but, um, do you um do you do a Monday to Friday? Do you try and keep weekends free, or how does that sort of work? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm very much on a kind of classic work schedule now. Um, I'm not. I mean, I'm not afraid to take advantage of the fact that I'm not in an office, and you know, if if there's a reason to take a day off, I'll take a day off. But but I like the thing is, you know, with with a family, no one's here Monday to Friday. So it's a great time to work. And then of course, everybody's around on the weekend. So it's both a terrible time to work and a great time not to work. Um, you know, so it's just easier to, to get it done. <laughs> the, the house obviously being empty is a bonus, but how do you deal with other distractions? Are you pretty good with keeping a phone away from you so that you're not tempted just to find yourself looking at the internet when you should be writing or anything like that? Well, I mean, I'm on a computer anyway, so. Aye, true, true. <laughs> My phone's not a big distraction. Um, it depends. It, it depends what I'm writing. So, like, if I am writing that 
table of 20 entries, I do often stop and, and check the internet just because it's, it's such a kind of boring way to write, you know, one sentence, then think of something else, then one sentence, think of something else. Uh, but if it's it's more flowing, then, then I just get into it and I don't worry. You know, I, I don't even think about wanting to do other things. And, and I tend to get annoyed if, if other things crap, if the phone rings or, you know, the postman comes or, or whatever. But I mean, I do have my, I do have my days where like, you know, oh, I just don't really want to write this today or it's going really poorly. And yeah, it, it does break down occasionally. So. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favorite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now back to the show. Have you ever, for all the fiction you've wrote, have you ever done a novel or anything like that? No, I've written some, I guess what you'd call novellas or novelettes or, you know, kind of 20, 30,000 word pieces, but I've never, never done a novel. Uh, I've just never quite felt like I had an idea that would justify a novel. Um, now I think about that and go, you know, no one does. You've got to have lots of ideas that, that it end up justifying a novel and you probably won't discover all those until you start actually working on it. Um, so if I were to do a novel, which I might one day, I think I'd take a very different approach than back when I was writing more fiction, actually, when I was mainly writing short stories. Um, but in, in the fantasy form, in many ways, I actually prefer the, the short story as a form, although it's a pretty much impossible way to, to make a living. Yeah, I think um, the benefits of like it's I, I suppose it's like TV series as well, like ongoing TV series when the the viewer or the reader or whatever they buy into a character and they're with them for the long term. And when you, yeah. I think that's I'm not I'm not so much into films because it could be done in an hour and a half. You know, I've just met the character; they might be mm -hmm. dead, they might be dead in an hour, um, even if they're the hero. So I think that's why I like kind of ongoing fiction, right? Well, I mean, I guess I, I grew up on like um, kind of like a lot of sword and sorcery and well, short stories in which you had uh, ongoing characters. So like all the Sherlock Holmes stories and the Conan stories and, and Fafford and the Grey Mouser. And so I really enjoyed those where you kind of have these series of short stories, but, but each one's contained. Um, maybe it's just because, you know... I didn't read as much as a kid, so a short story was, you know, manageable, whereas a novel was just too much. But uh, Do you read a lot now? Oh, yeah. I basically, that's that's my default state. If, if I'm not working and there's nothing else I have to be doing, I'm probably reading. Um, what sort of stuff have you been reading recently? Um, man, I, to be honest, I, I read almost everything, any, anything you put in front of me. I mean, I guess... Fantasy science fiction is my favorite, but I read a lot of history. I read a lot of historical fiction. I read, uh, I read books on philosophy, science, uh, self-help, uh, just 
I just finished a, a big book on the history of the library as a as a concept, which was actually really good. <laughs> so, do you do yeah. do you do audiobooks, paper, Kindle, or do you just do them all? Paper, always paper. It's, it's always paper. I mean, I, I will I will read an ebook only if there's just no other way to get it. Hmm. Um, well, and and I always keep one on my phone just if I'm absolutely desperate, you know, if <laughs> mm. I'm stuck somewhere. But um, why paper? Is it just having that tangible sort of book in your hand? A couple of things. One, I get so much screen time already since I'm sitting in front of a computer most days, mm. or at least you know, a good half the day or more. Um, so I just I just don't need the additional screen time. Um, but I yeah, there's there's something about the physical tactile nature of it there's something about my brain functions better at remembering things when i can remember the point the approximate point it was in a book Mm -hmm. so you know i tend to remember well that was about a hundred pages in you know and I don't know. It, it just changes when I do ebook. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to stick quite as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're harder to go back. A non-fiction ebook is very hard to. There might have been a good bit that you want to go and look at again, but it's very hard to find it. Um, yeah, and I like the fact that physical books are a. They're almost a prop. You know, they remind you that they're there. Whereas the ebook, you need to go to the Kindle, put the Kindle on, find the book. Yeah. Um, so the paper book is staring you in the face, shouting, "Read me." <laughs> Um, that said you know as as my eyes get worse i could see myself going over to kindle as i got older and you know because that that ability to increase the font size is is pretty good (laughs) you just need those very very thick glasses the milk bottle they're 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 getting slightly thicker every year now (laughs) (laughs) do you never never fancy audiobooks then never do that i've tried you know I, i really used to enjoy listening to audio drama um and i still do occasionally so i've got it for for years, I've listened to the um, like Doctor Who audio dramas. I don't know if this kind of company called Big Finish, which has the rights to do Doctor Who stories with all the like previous doctors. Um, and I've just really enjoyed. I think they've actually done a better job carrying on the legacy of Doctor Who than than the TV show has. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the. So I used to do listen to those a lot while painting, um, and. I still do from from time to time. It's it's quite expensive. Um, you know, they are quite expensive. You know, when you think they tend to cost, you know, 15 quid and they, you get an hour and a half out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not not the greatest entertainment investment, but but the, but they're really good. And I mean, their their production values are extremely high. And um, so, yeah, I, I do that. And I'll uh, you know, I listen to the, a very occasional ebook usually kind of like you know a bbc4 something that i can get online um but i don't i'd just rather read most books mm. when you get right down to it so what about uh, tv and film do you do you watch any tv shows or anything like that in the evenings yeah uh, not as much as i used to um my wife and i just finished watching season one of the wheel of time um which i haven't good? read you know i liked it um, I wouldn't say it's amazing. Um, it's a little gory for my tastes, but uh, I worked through it. Um, <laughs> it was better than I expected, uh, but I didn't expect much. So, but you know, 
there, there's only so much fantasy to choose from. So I read <laughs> um, the first couple of the books, and then somebody pointed out to me that um, they were like, uh, was it Robert Jordan? I think wrote them. Yeah, Robert Jordan. So somebody pointed out they were like, look at how many times he writes about a woman smoothing her skirt. And once somebody had pointed that out to me, I just couldn't, broken, huh? couldn't unsee it. I was like, well, why do they keep? Does nobody own an iron? Um, so <laughs> it was just like it was obviously his tech with his writing. I'm surprised right. it. An editor never said, "Look, Robert, you need to stop. <laughs> she needs to stop smoothing her skirts." Um, but yeah, the TV show they're probably not going to. Not yeah. going to. Uh, well, you know, now that I think about it, there were definitely a, a few skirts. Yeah. One, one, <laughs> one entire episode was just a woman's exactly skirt. nothing yeah. but different characters. <laughs> it was a very. It's funny. Like I always avoided those books because, like, I just. I knew he had no intention of finishing them. Like yeah. the, you could just tell the wheel of time was going to roll on as long it's as he you. lived. And it did. And then he died. And then they quickly finished it off. You know, <laughs> but is the boy, uh, is the boy George Martin, is he still around? I don't really, I, I don't look at anything like that. So he could have died and I wouldn't know. George R. R. Martin, he's yeah. still alive, but I think he's basically gotten so rich that he doesn't, he doesn't care too much anymore. Yeah. About writing. Um, he's, you know, I don't think there's any indication that he's ever going to actually finish his series. And you ever see? Did you ever watch um, the Vikings or the Last Kingdom? I really liked those recently. Um, I watched the first series of Last Kingdom uh, on when it was on BBC, and I enjoyed it to an extent. Um, I tend to like stories with good guys, essentially, like you know, people you can really root for, and. Um, you can't. You can kind of, sort of root for Uhtred, son of Uhtred, but but he's not really that nice a guy. And um, yeah, he was a mixed bag. Kinda, See, I'm the opposite. Yeah. I quite like. I quite like a grey area character. Um, right. You know that you don't really know. You know what side are they on? I think that's why back in the day I liked Game of Thrones because the whole thing I was just like, are they good? Are they bad? And life's not like that, is it? It's it's in the middle somewhere often. Yeah. But I don't watch TV for life, so, <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't watch Game of Thrones basically for that reason. Yeah, um, you know. But yeah, not for me. TV is is escapist. So I want, I want the good guys being good and the bad guys getting their comeuppance. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the feel good stuff. Yeah. Exactly. You, are you deliberate about um, you know an hour a night TV or anything like that? Because there's maybe I don't know some painting to be done and stuff like that as well. No, um, I'm deliberate in the sense of I rarely watch TV to watch TV. You know, I only tend to watch TV because I want to see whatever it is. Mm. Um, yeah, so you you're know. not like a countdown in the background guy. Um, no. <laughs> neighbors with the sound down, uh, but subtitles on. I hate when you see um, that in a pub. I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a... It's the new season of Mandalorian. You know, I'm going to be there on Wednesday when it's released. I'm going to watch it, you know. <laughs> but then I might not watch anything the rest of the week, you know. Like, uh, we're, we're doing Lord of the Rings at the moment, um, treating it almost like a TV series because over the three films, is it something like 12 hours or that? So if you, You're watching the extendeds? Yeah, aye. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it is closer to, to 12. Yeah, so we're just cutting them into sort of hour-long chunks and... Um, 
that way I'm still getting a wee bit of painting done at night. How much how much <laughs> painting in that do you do you get done these days? Not as much as I used to. Um partly that's because my office is really small and um I can't keep like I have nowhere to keep a permanent kind of paint setup. So if I want to paint, I have to kind of put the computer away and and set it up, which literally takes one minute, you know, but, but it's a kind of mental block. Um, so what I tend to do is I tend to quit working at lunchtime on a Friday and I put the computer away and I set the paints up and then I have a kind of big painting session, not painting session, but I have a painting weekend. So I leave everything up over the weekend and um, usually get a couple of hour or multi-hour chunks in over the weekend. And um, so I probably paint. Well, I know I, I ended up painting 161 figures last year because I actually kept track. I think I'm, I'm probably moving a little slower this year, but, mm. you know, so I guess by some standards, that's a lot of painting. By other standards, not so much. Um, I'm becoming a lot more deliberate in it, um, mm. painting things because I want to paint them and not worrying too much about their usage in a game. Are you just picking up stuff that you like the look of then? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I do a lot of, I put most of my painting on my blog. One thing I don't do those, so I've bought a lot of Marvel Crisis Protocol figures over the last year. Um, and and I love painting those. And I don't play the game, but I also don't blog about it. And and I've never really talked about it either. And because I that's the one part I want to kind of keep separate from my job you know mm. and for me it's it's more of it's not gaming it's i guess kind of model making you know building a, a little world um because like i said i don't play the game and i don't have any intention of gaming with these these figures so it's just about the act of enjoying painting mm -hmm. but, um, so uh, probably about half my painting is that these days and the other half is you know stuff i'm actually using four games do you ever get a game anything in that's not testing something that you're making yourself these days yeah i have to i have to work for it um <laughs> but actually i've got a couple of friends coming over this weekend we're gonna play some Frostgrave, and um i got another kind of gaming date in london in a few weeks um because i basically went went a year and a half without playing a thing because mm -hmm. of covid and and you know hunkering down inside even when it was technically allowed but um so i'm trying to get back into it a little bit more um, what are some of your favorite games um w without wanting to sound arrogant it, it tends to be my own and that's not because i think they're the greatest games ever but because i wrote them to be the games i wanted to play mm. you know the, the style of game i wanted to play you know they tend to be more laid back a little bit more random, you know, just kind of just just there for the fun and the wildness of gaming and not too much about the the hardcore rules interpretations and, and winning by, you know, army building or super clever strategy. <laughs> is it is it challenging for you to play somebody else's game and take your work hat off and not start um anal not not saying criticizing but just analyzing the rules you know I see what they've done there and that's quite cool and <laughs> like really digging in it. Yeah, it is. Um 
you know, and so I do that to my own games too, but, um, but yeah, with others, you know, things clunk for me now. It's like, Oh, that's just not a, a great mechanic or that's not a mechanic that I would put in there. Cause I don't enjoy the way it interacts with, you know, the play, the experience, but, um, not always. Some games are great and <laughs> I don't have that problem, but yeah. Or, or I'm thinking, man, that's a good mechanic. I should, I should figure out a way to steal that, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, it is, it is one of the downsides of what I do now is that I can't completely separate my hobby from my job. Um, and that's one of the reasons like I paint the, the, the Marvel figures cause it is more separate. Um, and it's, you know, as much as I love what I do, there are days I really miss just being able to use my hobby to completely switch off, um, which I can't really do anymore. Well, like Frostgrave being so famous, have you ever come across anyone who told you about Frostgrave not realizing that you made it? <laughs> um, a bit. I mean, I, at conventions, you know, I'll walk up to a table where they're playing Frostgrave and, you know, they won't immediately recognize me but that said like you know over in, in britain I'm, I'm pretty recognizable um i guess i'm pretty recognizable anyway but but you know i i wear kind of an abraham lincoln style beard which is really uncommon over here and i tend to wear a baseball cap which is also uncommon so when i walk around over here i tend to get noticed by people who would who would notice me but also a t-shirt that says i made frostgrave <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i'm actually wearing a pat mccann t-shirt right now good with my chaos dwarf on it <laughs> yeah i'll tell dan he, he doesn't listen to this he wouldn't lower himself to listen to my podcast right. well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i listen to this podcast just on repeat it's the only show i listen to exactly <laughs> forget audiobooks yeah um deep question time what's the what's the last time joe that you changed your mind about something in the hobby um all right i got i got two that kind of i think connect a bit um probably the the big one recently is i thought it would be quite a while before 3d printing had a major impact on the hobby and i was i now believe i was totally wrong and it's already having a major impact and it's going to grow really fast and and by impact I'm, I'm talking about individuals owning 3d printers obviously they've been used in the the kind of casting and creating process for a while but but i just mean the people able to basically print their own miniatures at home um i, I don't have a 3d printer i don't really have the capacity to have one um, and i'm not sure i'd want one even if if i could but i've had some things printed out for me by friends and the the quality is is there you know the quality mm. is up to the level or at least near the level of of some of the best stuff out there and that's you know that's improved so much over the last couple of years it's going to continue to improve and the printers are getting cheaper they're getting easier and more and more people are buying them and it, it is starting to have a major effect on the hobby and i don't know what the end game of that is and and luckily since i write rules it's not as pressing a question to me as it perhaps is to, to manufacturers but but it's really interesting to see and like i said I, I was totally wrong about how fast the technology would grow and spread um 
from what I've heard, it's still pretty messy, smelly, unpleasant to deal with. So there's still a ways to go before it's kind of commonplace. But, you know, that lure of printing your own miniatures is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, and like you say, being a rules writer means, you know, that is that is something that the, the 3D printer is not going to steal. But I wonder, you know, 10 years from now, machine learning rules, maybe this big yeah. is just going to be spitting out brilliant games and no humans <laughs> going to be able to compete. So just make sure you sell enough um, stuff nowadays. Exactly. Need to retire Get it, it all in now before yeah. it's too late. <laughs> yeah, um, Skynet basically writing rules before exactly. it nukes us. <laughs> we're not going to be in the matrix it's just going to write us some really good games so we don't even like come out of our houses <laughs> yeah hi the machine you're in the matrix i know it's great <laughs> <laughs> this is actually quite good exactly. it's just uh, loads of miniatures being spat out this printer i've got these rules <laughs> coming through nobody to play exactly. with but <laughs> but interestingly i guess the, the other thing i've kind of recently I, I don't know if i've changed my mind about it but it, it's more of a kind of growing sense of like while i'm attracted to the 3d printer i'm attracted to the 3d printer because there are now lots of miniatures you can't get without a 3d printer mm. you know or that that are only available through 3d printing obviously you can probably order them through a secondary dealer what i'm not interested in is the ability to print out a bunch of miniatures um because I've just gotten to this this point where I guess when when you're young and well when you come back to this hobby <laughs> as most people do you know after college or whatever I never really left but most people have the story of going away for college and then coming back and they come back with more money obviously than they had as kids and it's great because they can buy all this stuff and um and I've been there and I've I've enjoyed that but I'm now getting to the point where it's like actually I really want less stuff um, and I want to concentrate and enjoy the stuff I have more. And I'm discovering that I'm getting distracted by the the amounts. I mean, everybody's got, you know, the kind of joke and the story about their lead pile or their lead mountain. Mm-hmm. And um, and we tend to treat it as a joke, whereas for me, it's it's actually a problem. It, it, it's a distraction and it's it saps my enjoyment of, of the rest of, of, of the actual process so like occasionally i catch myself and it's like i'm painting this miniature to get it done mm-hmm. and that's instead of i'm painting this miniature because i'm enjoying it and that's just absolutely the wrong reason for me to do anything mm-hmm. um, i'm just doing it to get it done um, and you know you might be doing it for a game so in that sense you're you're getting it done but if you're not enjoying the painting of it then you know, either learn to play with unpainted miniatures or, or get a, buy a different figure. <laughs> you can proxy enjoy that. But, but also just like using the creativity for the figures you've got. And, you know, not, I'm not arguing, don't buy new minis, don't buy new stuff, but just kind of being very deliberate about what it is I acquire and why I've acquired it and making sure that I actually get the use out of the things I acquire because mm-hmm. um, you know, if nothing else, I'll probably have to get rid of it at some point because my house will stuff up, <laughs> which, you know, I've got a small house it happens quickly. So, but um, 
you know, and sometimes I feel a little hypocritical about that because obviously I write rules and every book I have says, uh, you need these new miniatures. But, you know, as I say, of course you don't. If, if you don't have gnolls, you can use orcs and mm-hmm. only get the gnolls if you actually want some gnolls and you want to paint some gnolls and you want to enjoy some gnolls. But um, otherwise, just, just figure out ways to make it work. And in the same way, you don't have to have the exact terrain I'm talking about here, you know, at the minimum, just get a set of blocks and you can build a house out of that and you can make walls out of that and your, your imagination will fill in the rest and only, only get the nice houses and stuff as you can enjoy working on them. Yeah. And as we've been chatting, I've just been spending 500 quid on new Romans and Knowles for the <laughs> Knowles versus Romans game that Joe's releasing next yeah. year. Looking forward to that, Joe. Well, you know, by by the time you paint them all, it'll be out. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> um, as we as we wing round the corner towards the end of our chat, Joe, is there anything you want to mention, point to, promote, um, anything like that? Um, yeah, I guess I will. Uh, so the new volume of Blaster uh, is coming out probably in a week or two, um, and I've got a, a game in there. It's it's a full game called Death Ship One, and um, it's kind of an example of, I guess, what I was just talking about. It was kind of my attempt to see if I could write a war game minimalist game. Um, and the the premise of the game is that you control a, it's a solo game, sorry, solo or cooperative. And um, the players control a squad of soldiers that have been essentially pulled out of time and dumped onto an alien death ship. Um, and you can use miniatures from literally any time period. You have to pick whether you're going to do a low tech squad a middle tech squad or a high tech squad. And um, so like, if you want Romans, you get 10 Romans. If you want, you know, modern U S Marines, you get six of those. If you want space Marines, you get four of those, but you can use any of them. Um, there's three types of aliens in the game. And, um, and then all the terrain, well, almost all the terrain is just kind of walls. Um, and so the game is essentially two-dimensional, um, but you set up the walls and, and they can kind of move around during the game. But but the whole game is, can you take your squad and get them through all five rooms of the death ship? Um, and the, the thought is you probably won't. You, you'll probably fail. Um, it's a death ship after all, but, but it's a solo game. So you can try multiple times with different squads and, and try different strategies and stuff. So... It's so kind of like p- putting a bunch of Romans on like Space Hulk or that and seeing how they... Yeah, essentially. Um, you know, it's not corridors. It's it's kind of big rooms. Mm. Although the, the walls do divide those rooms into kind of sections. But um, but yeah, it's essentially... Yeah. Um, so one of the aliens is kind of alien Gene Steeler-esque. It's, it runs at you and tries to shred you. Um, you know, one of them's a more floaty blob that's just hard to kill. And then there's one that's kind of like I guess a Dalek that wanders around blasting at random. Um, then you'll encounter those as you go through and roll a lot of dice and, and try to kill them before they kill you and face other kind of traps and stuff. So, so what's the game yeah. called again? Sorry, it sounds great. I'm going to have it's, to. Uh, Death Ship One. Death Ship and, One. Um, yeah, it's going to be in Blaster Volume Four. So. And where could that be obtained on the old internet? Uh, that'll be on Drive Through RPG. Handy. One-stop shop. What was I getting there as well? I was getting the fanzine. Yeah, yeah, the Star of Alador. I mean, that's where you can get all the Rangers supplementary material on there. Again, and you can get it all either PDF or, or print-on-demand. So 
between my Romans and Knowles in these books has become an expensive conversation this <laughs> afternoon, Joe. <laughs> Here I am telling you. But, but, you know, you were saying, like, it's going to take you a while to get through that book. So. Exactly. That's yeah. like, you know, if, if part of what you enjoy about the hobby is reading rules, mm -hmm. then that's fine as long as you're actually reading them and enjoying them. Yeah. Just, you know, don't don't just buy them and stick them on your shelf with the thought that someday I will I will play these. Because one thing I've also discovered is, you know, we, we have this, oh, God, I got to get it now because I, I guess because GW has taught us that they're going to discontinue it and we'll never get it again. But mm -hmm. the truth is that, like, there's always new cool stuff. Like it never stops. So like, you can, you can jump in at any point and there's new cool stuff. And if you miss the new cool stuff today, there's going to be new cool stuff tomorrow. So. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. For show notes and links to everything Joe mentioned, head on over to bedroombattlefields.com. And remember, you can find our Patreon too at bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next one.